Hello, everybody. Welcome to We Ate All the Pies. I think maybe somewhat of an unexpected uh, episode this week. We mentioned at the end of last week's show that, uh, you know, with all the hecticness going on, uh, we may not end up getting to record. But we got a huge bump in in unique listens um, on the podcast stats. So I was like, well, we can't let that hang. Uh, so thank you to everybody who has been listening, despite uh, the let's just say limited social media effort I've been making uh, to promote the show. But I am Adam. Uh, I am here reporting from Oklahoma City, which, um, well, it's a funny story about that, how I ended up here. We're Basically, we're frozen in now, um, and I had a nice long drive last night in order to make that happen. And I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, but first, we'll uh, introduce our co-host. It's Jordan from Texas this week. Hi, Jordan. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, the roads are icy. Yeah, yeah. They're we're supposed to get another round um, this week. So my my work, which is we'll just say education related, was canceled today, and it will be canceled again tomorrow. So, which you might think I imagine is a, a perk of the job, but I really don't. It's, it's very annoying. We get very behind, and it's not great. But unfortunately, Jordan's job not only involves driving, but it also involves not being able to take snow days. Um, so he's going to have to deal with that. So I, I hope it goes okay. I hope it just remains patchy ice, Jordan. It doesn't get much worse. Well, if it gets much worse, I'm probably going to have to go out regardless. So, yeah. yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Uh, thoughts yeah. and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. And also, I can say, reporting from Texas this week, because uh, he is in town on some very, very important business. It's Caleb. Hi, Caleb. Long time no see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like only yesterday that we were in the same room. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Central Time Zone. Uh, yes, so Caleb's in Texas because our friend Carrie got married yesterday. Congratulations to Carrie and Stephanie. They don't listen to the show, but just in case. Um, uh, and it was great. It was a, it was, it was a great uh, wedding. I was there, but Caleb, you were in it. I'll let you kind of describe it. It was a nice, it was a nice evening. Beautiful wedding. Yeah. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, uh, a, a friend that Adam and I have known now for um, well over a decade. Yeah. So wonderful to to get the gang back together. Saw a lot of old friends. Um, got to meet a lot of Stephanie's family, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful party, dancing, some drinking, some great food, lots of memories made. Um, and then I will say because it was a Tuesday, the <laughs> next day um, had to be up. You know, to today when we're recording this on Wednesday, I had to be up bright and early for a. Uh, a meeting and one of my coworkers was like, why does your voice sound so weird? And I was like, well, I was on a wedding. I think I got, we got home like just before midnight. So yeah. this is my, I didn't get enough sleep and I had alcohol the night before voice. So, you know, just be happy. You don't hear this every Monday morning, I guess. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, so a lot of people ended up having to, cause they had a hotel. There was a hotel nearby that you could stay at. And we had actually planned to get a room there but with the incoming ice storm, basically, yeah, they, they said this morning that if we waited, we we wouldn't have been able to get out, and and that was very true. I mean, the, this our street right now is is covered in ice. So the missus and I drove uh, started about nine thirty ish, I think, and drove straight through to Oklahoma City. We got home at about one thirty uh, in the morning, and it was <laughs> I. 
it was very, very tough. But I mean, and it was worth it, and it was definitely worth it to drive back. But um, I'd rather avoid those late. I can't, I can't do the late night drives like I used to be able to do. It's something about the road, and and I'm assuming being over the age of thirty. Um, but I will say real quick before we before we get into the football. So um, Stephanie, who carry her, her family is is uh, Latino, and uh, it was really fun because as they were doing the the announcements, as the wedding party sort of came down the stairs and came into the rest of the ceremony. Um, and the, the bride and groom, of course, uh, came down and did their, the side door opens and a mariachi band walks in and everybody at our table was just like, oh my God, yes, this is going to be fantastic. And it was, they were super talented. And that was probably my favorite part of the wedding or just those little, you know, they, they played some Selena, there was some street corn there, you know, all the stuff that they had, they, it was, that was my favorite part. That gave it a little bit of a. Little, little bit extra, which I really, I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. It was fun to see them enjoying it too, and like, and and having, you know, having that party in their celebration. So, a lot of good times. Did you get some street corn, Caleb? Fortunately, it doesn't work with the uh, keto diet, but I will agree oh, that's that right. uh, <laughs> the mariachi, mariachi band was fantastic. Yeah. Say so when when the DJ strayed more towards uh, Selena <laughs> and away from. Lizzo, I'd just say there was more audience participation. Yeah, uh, the dance floor got crowded when he when he put on when he uh, when he put on the some of those songs. So, so that was good. Um, so, if you um, have yes, Jordan. First of all, it's not street corn; it's a lotes. Get that right. Okay, and second listen, of all, but it is. But that's what it is. I know, but but I'm I'm using the the I'm using the white word for it. Okay. So people understand. And more importantly, Adam, so you're saying the best part of the wedding entirely was the mariachi band. No, not, not the entirely. Fact that, your friends, that your friends joined together in a beautiful union and, you know, the expression of love. It was the mariachi band, right? They were that good. They were, they they were, were very they good. Were good. They were very good. They did a cover of a Beatles okay. song. They were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, we're happy for them. We've told them that we were happy for them time and time again. I'm just explaining to our audience – who might understand more of what a mariachi band is versus who Carrie is, <laughs> that that was a fun part of the wedding. Um, but yeah, like they did this one song and one of the, the it was the, there was a woman that was in the group and she like let out this first note that went on for like, I swear it was a minute. And then the song got going. That was amazing. Um, so yeah, they were, they were, they were fantastic. That was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. I wish that now I kind of wish that we had had an opportunity some way or some fashion to have a mariachi band at our wedding, but that's okay. Anyways. So, um, you've probably been paying attention to what's been happening in Eastern Europe and, um, you know, football, such a, a big sport that it is being impacted, uh, by this. So we say pivot towards world war three. Um, I won't go too into details about what exactly is happening. Obviously, everybody knows that Russia is threatening Ukraine. They've recognized part of of Ukraine's territory as independent, for whatever that's worth. And there are some consequences to that when it comes to uh, the football. So first, I'll mention an ongoing consequence, which is uh, the club Shakhtar Donetsk, who since 2014 have not been able to play in their home stadium. So they've been playing in... It's it's either Kiev or Lviv, or maybe a combination of the two. Um, since this conflict broke out, they haven't been able to go back home. 
and and it's a real shame because it's a great club. Um, you know, they've won. I think they won a UEFA Cup. They had a lot of great players come out of there. Teixeira, uh, Willian, uh, who started at Shakhtar, Douglas Costa. Uh, now LA Galaxy's Douglas Costa. Fred was there for a while. Fred was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I think I think that's where Manchester United got him from. Um, was Shakhtar. So uh, definitely Brazilian flair, but I mean. You just talk about a, a star of Ukrainian football, uh, especially lately, and it's just a shame that they haven't been able to to play in their stadium. And so that's been going on. The Ukrainian league, the Ukrainian Premier League, is supposed to start this weekend after the winter break, which I think goes from about mid December or early December um, until now, until toward the end of February, because it just it gets so cold and frozen over there. So they're supposed to start back up and. As far as I could tell, they are still going to play, despite the threat of of the Russian invasion, and despite the fact that the the president today um, and the the, legis- the legislative branch there in in Ukraine, um, you know, issued essentially uh, I, I think you could call it conscription, basically calling up all the reservists um, and uh, and putting them on notice that they may have to fight in a war here pretty soon. But uh, the football continues. Uh, they there are no plans to to cease that, so I guess that's some good news out of that. Um, and also a uh, consequence of this is the Champions League final, it's supposed to be played at what I will say is is objectively a wonderful stadium in Saint Petersburg. It's beautiful, it's huge, uh, it's very technologically, um, I guess we we'll say advanced. Um, and as far as I know. Uh, that is not going to happen now. The Champions League final will not be played in Saint Petersburg. They will find an alternate, uh, an alternative venue. Uh, UEFA has yet to decide officially on that. But my understanding, and and I think a lot of journalists' understanding around the situation, is that they will move that final because they're not going to make anybody go to Russia uh, right now. Um, I think Zenit are in the Europa League still. Um, so. That's going to be something to figure out. Although I think their their game this week is, I think, in Spain. So, because I, I think they're playing Real Betis in the knockout round. So, so they they went to Saint Petersburg, and now they're going to um, uh, Seville for that one uh, for the second leg this week. But um, you know, it'd be interesting to see kind of what happens if that has to go forward. But yeah, so some definite implications from that. And very sad, very sad situation um, for everyone. And we hope that uh, it gets resolved quickly because we don't like to see this happen. I mean, I still would like to see a Champions League played in St. Petersburg. I don't necessarily think that that's you know a bad thing, but it, there's no way that it can happen right now with Russia acting like this and, and doing this. So um, definitely something to uh, to keep our eyes on. Anything else that I missed uh, from that? It's been it's been a frantic week over there. Hello. No, uh, Adam. Any other buddy? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was very concise and eloquent. You did a good job there, bud. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's a it's it's a shame. It's a real shame. Uh, all right, so very very active week. Uh, in fact, the only I, th- I think the only place 
in Europe that uh, there hasn't been as much activity in swinging from one side to the other um, as the Ukrainian-Russian Russian border this week has been Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Um, where And so there's, there's going to be two sides to this, because there always is when it comes to Spurs. So we're going to talk about the first one, which is a huge, just ground-shaking win for them at the Champions this weekend. Um, so the big one on Saturday ended uh, Manchester City 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3. Two goals from the one-away striker, the villain, turned suddenly savior of the season, Harry Kane, set Tottenham on course for probably their most famous win of the season. Dejan Kulusevski, um opened the scoring off an assist from Youngman's son. Good to see him getting back into form because he also provided Kane's first um, as well. And then uh, Harry actually he almost had a hat trick had it not been for an offside call on Kulusevski there in the second half. Um, City, they boss possession. They had a lot of shots. And I'm not going to lie, it looked like at one point they were just going to eventually overwhelm Spurs. They were very defensive, and I just thought, there's no way they're going to get out of this one. Um, but uh, a stoppage time winner from Harry Kane secured the secured that result um, for Tottenham as they try for a Champions League spot. That took a dent today. Um, this is the first defeat for Manchester City since um, the last game of the... Round the the group stage round of the Champions League, they lost to uh, uh, RB Leipzig, but they were fielding you know the, their bench and, and second string. They, by that point, they were already through the next round, so they didn't really care. And it's their first defeat in the league since October, when they got turned over by Crystal Palace at also at home. Sensing a theme here, uh, it's also the first league double for Spurs over City since the fifteen sixteen season. Um, man, Harry Kane. I mean, talk about a turnaround for this guy. Almost going to City in the summer. Then, you know, looking like he... I mean, basically had the look of a striker who you, you wondered why City wanted him in the first place for most of the season. He's got six goals this calendar year. Um, and he is starting to look like the type of player City would want to spend £150 million to get. Um and it's it's funny you kind of it's just funny to think about how different all of this would be, and perhaps how far ahead City would be right now in the title race had Kane gone to City, had that deal worked out, and not been at Tottenham. But he's just I mean he's carried them uh, in a lot of games this season, um, and he's he made the difference here. Wonderful, a fa- fantastic, entertaining game, wouldn't you say? It was fantastic, and I, I think this goes to show how dangerous Spurs can be when they have a healthy and a focused Kane and Son. Um, and I also think that Conte starting um, Ryan Sessegnon and Kulusevski at wingback gives the Spurs the speed they need on those flanks. If they're going to be a team that sits back and kind of counterattacks, which is really, they do very well when Kane is linking up and, and doing what he did in this game and, and creating for others and then you know, once he once he moves the ball forward, he's making a run in himself and 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 is making himself available for service. And, and so they they moved very well when they did have the ball, which was not for much of the, the match. And so if they're going to be this kind of you know 
uh, defensively sound team that counterattack swiftly. They and if they're going to play back three, they really need you know wingers on the flanks who are able to move from defense to offense very quickly. And I think um, you know Conte deciding to start you know two youngsters um, who have the ability to be offensive players at those positions um, was really key to this victory. And it's interesting that he didn't do he didn't have the same starting eleven. Um, with their most recent loss. So, I mean, obviously that's not necessarily why they lost, but um, I think it is why they won. Yeah, definitely. They, I mean, both both had fantastic games. Um, obviously, Kulusevsky getting the opening goal. Um, and Jordan, you've you've mentioned this before, that there's there's a formula to beat City. And, and it seems like Spurs found that this afternoon. Yeah, it's a very simple formula, actually. But you just have to have world class players in order to execute it because it's simple. It... <laughs> no, but I, I, mean, I, get, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, no uh, the the way they play their the way they play their fullbacks almost as wingbacks, they're essentially pushed so high and wide up the pitch that if you're able to uh, you know pull their center backs up and then sneak sneak a winger around the back door. You're going to create a very easy shot on goal uh, uh, and a very good opportunity, and that's what happened with the first goal. Um, City, the way City plays and the way City lines up is they are lined up to dominate possession, and when they get turned over, you'll see players like Kyle Walker or um, Jao Cancelo. They will foul. They'll 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 perform very cynical fouls and and you know not do enough to get carded. But that's what their that's what their goal is on you know when they get turned over is to maintain, uh you know maintain possession or not have a a you know a a fast break occur when they're out of position. So uh, I believe I think they lead the league in tactical fouls in situations like that. But like I said, it's a very simple way to counter them. It just takes world class players to do it, and Harry Kane is a world class player. Yeah, and he was instrumental. I mean, dropping back into the space, getting the ball, and then immediately looking to play it wide because, you know, like you said, they had those fast players out wide, and they knew that was going to work. You know, Conte impressed me this game because there was at one point I thought they're sitting way too deep. They're just inviting this pressure on, and at some point City are going to score. And, of course, they did. I mean, that's that's what happened. City took the lead. Um, or, well, okay, no, they, they didn't. City City did come back. Um, and it was a penalty, uh, let me start over. So Kulusevsky scored, Gundogan got the, uh, the goal to equalize for, for City. Kane scored to put it, make it 2-1 to, to Spurs, and then Mares scored a late penalty, and I thought this was a penalty. I didn't think there was a whole lot of controversy about it. Christian Mero diving low, his hands up over his head, the ball hits his arm, but when it's in that position, I just don't think that you can avoid calling a, a, a foul there. I don't think it's accidental when the hand is up over. I don't care if you're sliding or not. If it's up and over your head, you know it's it's got to be handling. I, I don't uh, I don't think that that was necessarily controversial there. Um, but Kane coming up big at the very end it was just a, a huge huge moment for Spurs. And one of those moments that you would think would cause you to seize momentum and move on from there. Tottenham had lost, I think, three in a row at that point. Um, 
And I don't know if Antonio Conte has ever last lost four matches in a row in his managerial history. But after today, it's one win in the last four games, I think, uh, or four defeats from the last five, because Burnley beat them at Turf Moor uh, 1-0 in uh, today. This, by the way, was the makeup game for the one that had to be canceled earlier in the season due to snow up in Burnley uh, and across Lancashire. And that was the one where the Dallas guy, who was a Spurs fan, went over there and they made this whole big like 26-hour journey from Dallas over there only to find out that the game had been canceled. So uh, the conditions weren't great. Uh, the rain-soaked pitch uh, certainly impacting the match. But to go from beating the the top team to losing to one of the bottom teams, I guess, is, is a huge roller coaster. And what was interesting, I would say more so than the result, is what Conte had to say after the match, basically saying, um, you know, maybe this means that I'm not such a good manager. Um, you know, I think the Tottenham board will maybe have to, you know, meet and talk about this. I mean, he essentially sounded like a guy who wanted to be fired and wanted to leave. It was very bizarre um, because, honestly, I, I mean, yeah, it's not a great result today, and I know he, they've suffered a lot of defeats, but I don't know. I don't think he's been doing such a bad job. They went on a nice run of games there. It's only lately that they've been struggling. Um, so this was really bizarre for me, and I don't really know what's behind it other than if we remember back last summer when Spurs were looking for a manager and the search went on and on and on and on and on, they apparently reached out to Conte and he said no the first time around. And then he came back and said yes. Maybe he's starting to regret that decision? I don't know. I'm very interested in, in what's going on here because it looks like Conte's asking to leave, basically. I think it'd be that. I, I think it's also maybe just a little bit of how it's always tough. I mean, clearly he was very frustrated. That's a really poor loss. Um, and clearly they have to turn right around and, and do something again. Sorry, my my boy is going off. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was, so, Jordan, I thought it was Jordan's truck backing up. No, no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, obviously that's concerning when your manager is doing, is, is saying those kinds of things. But I also think that this is just, I think it was more frustration than maybe a, you know, a calculated, oh, I, I'm going to have to get out of here, you know, kind of thing. This isn't working. I think he was just clearly very frustrated. And it, it's got to be tough after you, you know, beat, after you beat City and then turn around and can't be one of the worst teams in the league. It just, I mean, that that feels more like a loss that's on the manager than anything else. And so maybe that's why he's taking it, you know, as hard as he is. There was one interesting and some of this might be down to translation, but there was one interesting comment that he had, which is he basically said at Tottenham, the managers change, but the players stay the same. And it, it was just very strange. Like It was almost like a, there's something wrong at the club kind of comment. Or maybe he was just saying, you know, the players are the same, but it's the manager who's, who's who that, you know, gets changed around or, or, the, or that changes because he doesn't do that good of a job. I don't know. I, I don't know what he was saying, but it was just kind of strange. I, I didn't know if he was putting on the players or if he was basically just saying, you know, this club kind of have a history of this, which they do. Uh, we've been over that here on the podcast, but it was just, uh, you know, and he he seemed to have some interesting comments following the January transfer window. He felt like maybe he wasn't being given, 
you know, the money that he wants, which is kind of the Conte style. He goes and says, give me this money and I can get these players and we can make it work. And if it doesn't happen, then he kind of gets turned off and he leaves. That's exactly what happened at Inter this summer. He said, I want to do championship. Give me some money to spend more players. They said, no, he left. So I don't know. I don't know how much of this is Tottenham, how much of this is Conte. It's going to be interesting to watch um, as we go forward. Um, uh, because like I said, you know, Tottenham are, are they're, they're chasing down fourth place. Um, this has been a hiccup, but I don't think they're necessarily out of it. They still have a lot of games in hand, um, which we'll go over a little bit later. Um, all right, on to the next one. Manchester United. Uh, you know, Adam? Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Jordan. I completely forgot about today's match between Burnley and Tottenham. That that was the makeup match for the, uh, the snowstorm. I thought that right. was just another COVID match. No. That Burnley had to make up. I completely forgot they had to uh, make up one because of the weather conditions at Turf Moor in early December. <laughs> yeah, that was the and that was before all the COVID stuff. Like the that that was like they had that canceled, and I think they had a that so they they Tottenham couldn't play that match. Then they they played one more, and then the next week after that one was the wrong game that they couldn't play because they didn't have enough players. So it was like miss match and then. COVID. So, and then that whole, that whole thing, which feels like forever ago now. Um, Battle of Ellen Road was this weekend. Leeds 2, Manchester United 4. Despite an epic Leeds comeback in the second half, Manchester United hold their nerve to go fourth. They are four points clear now of West Ham United at a rain-soaked Leeds. Uh, Harry Maguire, Bruno Fernandes, giving United a 2-0 halftime lead. But two goals in less than two minutes from Rodrigo and Rafinha made it look like yet another uh, Manchester United collapse under Ralph Ragnick was inbound, but Fred gave United the lead back uh, in the second half. Anthony Alanga then sealed the deal in the 88th minute. He's been looking good uh, lately. He scored today in the Champions League against uh, Atletico Madrid. Very, very important away goal for Manchester United. Um... To me, it still it still felt like this was one of those for Manchester United. They didn't, again, not putting together a full 90 minutes. They have, you know, um, some moments of madness there in in the second half and let leads back into the game. If you take a 2-0 lead into halftime, you should be it. That should be it, especially if you're Manchester United. And it was almost not. Uh, but, you know, give them credit. I mean, they pulled off uh, the win and, and, and they got out of this one. Um and uh, and pull it together. So, into fourth place, I would say looking pretty good for Manchester United now. My uh, one of my takeaways from this match, um, in 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 this is kind of a long time coming because I've I've criticized Harry Maguire a lot on this podcast, <laughs> and um, he just seems lost Maybe at times uh, with uh, Manchester United. Um, obviously, um, he scored in this match a header, and um, I did a little bit of research. Um, I did watch a fantastic video from FIFA Football on him as well. It kind of changed my opinion about his performance this season. And I think one of the reasons, and this is not me, this is what I've read and watched, but right. basically one of the reasons that ex- experts kind of say that, that McGuire has looked as poor as he has is because of everything that's being done around him. You know, United is asking McGuire to run up and score in set pieces. They're asking him to launch their attacks, which are almost exclusively on the on the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, they're asking him to defend higher up because they're having to use 
their fullbacks and attack more um, because they, for whatever reason, because of the way that structurally, you know, they're limited. Um, and so, you know, without, he's just having to defend a, a good bit of the pitch. And that's one of the reasons why you have someone who is, you know, a world-class defender and a national team player looks so woeful at times um, because he's having to do everything. Um, and that's really, you know, he, he's a good defender, um, but he can't, he, he really can't do it all. And if you want him, you know, being defending a huge amount of space, also scoring in set pieces and also launching attacks, that's just too much for, for really anyone to do, but particularly McGuire. Um, so uh, sorry, Harry, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully United can, can get their uh, structure figured out and, and you'll start looking better. I would always say, generally speaking, that, uh, you know, it, it's hard because when, when you're a defender, and I think especially when you're a center back, if the other team scores, it's very easy for, for people to point the finger at you. And sometimes it is, that's that's correct. Like, you know, you've made a mistake or, or something's happened. Um, actually, the goal for Atletico today um, yeah, Zhao Felix, uh, it, it was a wonderful ball played in. Uh, Atletico played Manchester United today in the Champions League. It was a great ball played in from the left. And Jao Felix kind of, he, he sort of just sprinted in front of Maguire uh, and headed it in for the opening goal. And, and it sort of made it look like, well, what, you know, what was Harry really doing there? Um, but I, I do think good teams, I mean, you defend as a unit. Like, that's, that's, that's the key. You can't, you know, two center backs are not going to hold off an entire attack. So you defend as a unit, everybody's involved, you know, <clears throat> the midfielders drop back, they relieve the pressure, you make sure just, your center backs don't get exposed a whole lot. And so it's always a little weird for me when center backs get, get criticism because I'm like, well, it's, yeah, but it's a team effort to defend. That's the, you know, the team that defends well is going to win well. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's really good, some really good points, um, Caleb. Uh, Jordan, I talking a little bit beforehand, you had mentioned, uh, you know, a good win for United, but it was unfortunately marred by another incident um, of uh, of fans maybe acting not quite the way that they should be acting. Uh, yes. You know, before the, before the podcast, how do you talked about, you know, this is a 1970s style match <laughs> with yeah. the, uh, the intensity of the crowd, the weather, the uh, water soaked pitch, you know, uh, with there was so much rain, I thought there was going to be mud, but you know, modern, modern, you know, modern grass uh, and the way they manicure those uh, those those pitches must be you know amazing to make to keep it from getting muddy. Credit but, uh, credit to the Ellen Ellen Road grounds crew; they did a wonderful job. Uh, you know, like like I said, it was like the nineteen. It felt like the nineteen seventies, and it did when Anthony Alanga got hit with a coin. Uh, I, I I say coin. It was a foreign object from the yes, from the stands. Object, yeah. uh, after the Fred goal, uh, which uh, speaking of that Fred goal, that should have been a Paul Pogba goal, but um, it seems under Ralph Ragnit that Fred um, has found a little bit of new life. He seems more energized and more you know sure in what he uh, is doing. He doesn't look as lost in the midfield. Um, this honestly was my favorite match of the weekend just because, you know, you have, uh, 
Manchester United who will get out early and score early, but then kind of pull back and retreat a little bit. And then you have Bielsa ball, which is uh, 90 miles uh, a minute for 90 minutes. And it was it was a roller coaster, and I absolutely loved it. The only sad note I had about that game is uh, Robin Cox. Uh, the center back for Leeds who got pulled off after a uh, head injury, which he was left in for. And then he went down a second time, not a, not 10 minutes later, and had to be pulled out of the match because of a head, in- head injury. Yeah, definitely not, not good to see there, especially when you, uh, you know, we're giving so much attention to uh, concussions and concussion protocol, things like that. Um, you know, but it's tough. I mean, it, it, it's difficult. I think every team kind of goes through it and struggles with it at times and does very well at times. So, um, but yeah, def- not not good to see. Uh, also, I think Junior Firpo actually, I think he came on. He was a substitute that came on for Cock. Yes, at yeah, thirty first minute. Yeah, yeah. So introducing him back into the game. He just came back from injury, so I guess that was good. But yeah, uh, certainly not not good to see there, and not good to see from from the Leeds fans. Um, you know, that, that sort of behavior. And I'm, I'm sure that the club will take some type of action. Um, speaking of that, Bielsa ball didn't help him today either. Uh, a huge defeat to Liverpool um, as uh, Liverpool made up their game in hand six nil at Anfield. So not looking great at Leeds um, as things start to tighten up down around the relegation zone. Um, Speaking of, let's talk about the We Ate All the Pies derby that happened this weekend. Um, it finished 1-1. Jordan and I owe each other drinks. That was the deal. Uh, and we will certainly do so. Uh, Craig Dawson used his head this time to power West Ham into the lead after, I'll just say, I mean, it was a pretty, you know, pretty dominant start by Newcastle. looked like a typical West Ham job uh, for a moment until... Dawson pulled them out. Um, but West Ham being West Ham, a moment of madness leading to the equalizer. Declan Rice's header went about 90 degrees in the opposite direction to where he wanted it to go. It dropped pretty nicely as Joe Willock uh, reached around Dawson and taps it in off the far post just before halftime, sucking all the momentum out of that one uh, and leading to not a great second half from West Ham. Um but I've looked at the stats of this one, and it actually was pretty even. I think both teams had the same amount of shots on goal. Newcastle only had a little bit more possession. Um, I will say, Jordan, and I'll, I'll 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 be nice. It is nice to see Newcastle playing unified together. Um, you know, the team goes forward together; they go back together. They're not set up in these rows to defend. And you know, let the opposition come come on to them and 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 sort of defend. It's a very together, very assured, very confident looking Newcastle team. And certainly, the signings have helped with that. But I think Eddie Howe deserves a lot of credit. What meow? Um, yeah, right. you know Howe. what? You know what? You said I was being nice. I was going to be nice, but now uh, we'll just launch into this. I think Newcastle were fucking dirty in this game pretty as well. I thought they made a lot of bad tackles. I thought they targeted Jared Bowen, and that's pretty much the uh, the unified response from uh, West Ham fans. So 
Take that, you dirty northern bastards. Honestly, I don't care if we're I don't care if we're dirty. I yeah. really don't. Yeah, well you were. We need to we need, so I I mean we it's it's still into the one one draw. Um and you know um Which by the way, Newcastle a, fans are treating like a win, which I think is pretty rich. Again, it's about survival. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, take your point. Uh you, you know, you seem a little bitter. You know, I am now because I was trying to be nice to you, and you just brought that yeah. on. So, yeah, let's have a go. Come well, on. Yeah, yeah. maybe stepping down from the heights of Manchester United to, low, to lowly mid-table West Ham was a little bit much for you, Adam. But, yeah. you know, uh, no, need, no need to piss on, piss on me, but all right. Um, you started Chris it. Wood is a legend. Chris Wood is a legend if, it's, if the rumor is true. Um, that he would meow every time he was near Kurt Zuma, and Craig Dawson is a little bitch if he was going to, you know, went to the official and say, "Hey, he's doing this," and uh, was trying to get Wood out and in trouble. I mean, dude, you're a professional athlete. You're the whole goal is well, that's to his get job. Opponent's head. That's his job. So, he should, he's looking out for his mate. Maybe he should. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't have gone to the official. Maybe he well, should have clattered well, Chris Wood ac- across the head. I tell you this much: if Chris Wood had been paying as much attention to his football as he would to his shit talking, maybe he'd actually done something this match instead of disappearing for ninety minutes. First of all, Chris Wood does a great job at. He didn't this at, time. At I forgot other, he was at, on the pitch. At, at the other things, I mean, he re, he runs down. At the pressure. other things, I'm not worried. Yeah, the, the goals the goals will come. Okay. And you like know maybe like Craig Dawson should have been a maybe Craig Dawson should have been a better teammate and instead of complaining to the official about it he should have clattered him with a tackle like a fucking man. But oh no he had to go whine to the referee because he was making a making a joke at my teammate's expense. Boo hoo hoo. Fucking boring West Ham. God your team is so predictable. What are you going to do? Have a you know a Michael Antonio come to the outside and try to put a bad cross into the middle with a guy who's five eight. Lanzini or Jared fucking Jared Bowen. I mean, maybe you need to get you know a little bit more inventive in the offensive end if you want to score goals and stay out of the mid table, Adam. At least, journal- about at, least that? The, yeah, at least our journalists can come to our stadium and not fear, but and not worry about getting murdered. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say West Ham are a mid table club, and uh, I mean it's catching up to them now. They've got some clubs who are kind of lower down, who are you know catching up to him now i mean arsenal making up the game so i think i did the math i looked at it i think it's 12 games 12 games left in the season i think there's about three of them that i know for a fact that we should win although one of those against burnley they've been doing good pretty lately um and the rest of them are kind of up in the air so uh oh well okay so so three of them would definitely win five of them I think will definitely lose and then the rest of them are kind of up in the air and so I, at this rate I think they get in in draws or losses it's very clear that we didn't strengthen during uh you know during the the January transfer window definitely should have Europa League games coming in that's going to be tough to manage so yeah I, I think we'll settle in about ninth or tenth um maybe eighth but, hey. So. You know what? You know what's in consolation for you is you did put in at least three rec- club record bids. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That that's nice. 
Yeah, I don't. I sorry. I I don't. I don't like this. I don't like this. The money's done. The main. The money's changed you, Jordan. It has. It's it. You. No. you yeah. Yeah. The, no, it's, the, the money's money changing. You're, let, you're letting the money get into your head. You're letting the lack of money get into your head. Oh no no we no you said we put in record bids. We're just incompetent with it. We've had we've got the same amount. We just we're just not doing anything with it. The money hasn't gone to my head, Adam. Okay, okay. Sure. I'm just I'm just I'm just happy that my team is actually putting forth an effort for the first time in over a decade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll buy I'll buy you a drink, you little you stupid Jordy. <laughs> I'll buy you your drink, and I'll be happy. We don't have to go back up north for at least another season. Ugh. Typical Londoner. Yeah. Metropolitan uh, elitist. Yeah. Not in, not in touch with the working class club or the working class people. We brought this you up bourgeoisie. today. We brought this up today. <laughs> you mentioned that because we were talking about how I we could do this podcast because I I didn't have uh I didn't have uh as much work tomorrow. I mean, I can do some stuff from home, but uh, because of the snowstorm, and of course Jordan can't because his job requires him to be on the road and, and do those things. <laughs> he mentioned how me and Caleb were the bourgeoisie. Jordan, I I have learned from you several different types of very nice beers and very specific beers, craft breweries, you know, all these different flavors and all this different stuff. You know, it seems like every time, which by the way, I very much appreciate. It expands my beer knowledge. And then also, I know now I know that there is a special kind of Starbucks store where you can get this special kind of like high-end coffee and things like that. I learned that all from you. Don't, don't give me the bourgeoisie. Well, I mean, you, you, you enjoy some bougie stuff every once in a while. Well, I mean, I am a millennial, so you know. I, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, I am a millennial, so I have wasted my. 401k and you know whatever future i have beyond <laughs> retirement avocado to- avocado toast so i mean that just fits right in my wheelhouse yeah it's not late stage capitalism's fault jordan it's your five dollar <laughs> starbucks drinks that's yeah that's, um, that's why you don't have a house in two if, stars no if, you, if y'all were to if y'all were to see what's going on in the in the in the uh, podcast dungeon right now my wife is sitting across from me and it's just giving me such glares of disrespect and just what are you talking about this whole time it's it's hilarious to watch her watch me podcast oh man you do have a house and two cars though right yes yeah there you go but no, that's, that's good that's good you did good work yeah yeah but both cars are almost a, de- a decade old and one was yeah. free. <laughs> oh well okay <laughs> that's that's part of it uh, I'm trying to tell. I, I don't know if our, if if our listeners will be turned off by our feuding or if they'll enjoy it. But until they say otherwise, I think I they're think going to enjoy it. The, I think this is what the people want. I think that's what I think they that's want. The, I think they want they more. That. Yeah, out for blood. Yeah. Oh, wasn't there? But that that wasn't the only we ate all the pies uh, derby within the past week, was it, Caleb? It's not. I merely I'd like to enter this fray <laughs> just to say, <laughs> just to say. Okay, it, it, we are talking about the under twenty threes, so that's a huge, Still huge caveat here. But I will say that, um, and Fulham does have a terrible track record of actually keeping their young talent. But that's true. I will say that Monday there was a U twenty three battle between um, Newcastle and Fulham. That Fulham won 
one to six and the Fulham U23, I think, are 20 points clear um, of second place um, oh, and will likely be promoted. So, yeah, we're, it's, a good, it's yeah. a good year for the, for the young lads. Teacher's bright for, for Fulham. Well, you know, that's, that's supposing that we can actually sign these kids and, and keep them around. And like I said, we, our, our track record of doing that has not been great. But we can, we can produce them. So that's, that's, that's good, yeah. I guess. All right. Well, as we mentioned earlier, the title race, of course, is back on. Uh, and is thanks to Liverpool's result against Norwich this weekend. Uh, Liverpool winning 3-1 to one at Anfield. Um, Liverpool took full advantage, despite there was some shakiness in this one. Milo Rashica actually gave Norwich the lead at Anfield. And I remember sitting on the couch and I was going through the games, you know, picking this and that. I think he was watching Arsenal-Brentford for most of the afternoon. Um but that one was, uh, I think it was starting to go the way of, the, of, uh, of Arsenal, so I turned it. But I, no, but I saw that Norwich took the lead, and I thought, oh, what? Like, this usually ends, you know, 4, 5, 6 nil to Liverpool, uh, these sorts of games. I mean, every time Norwich faces Liverpool, I'm just like, oh, well, there's going to be a death this weekend. But they actually made it really, really hard for them, um, at least until uh, Sadio Mane's overhead kick, and then Mo Salah sort of, rolled the ball in as the goalkeeper sort of in no man's land. Uh, uh, also a goal for a new signing, Luis Diaz, um, which completed the uh, the result for Liverpool, who are now, after today's win against Leeds, just three points behind City. Title race is on. Uh, Liverpool and City meet each other later. But I do want to point out, I think Liverpool have done quite a good job um, navigating not having Salah and not having Mane for as long as they had them, uh, and and you know keeping up in the fight. Um, I think. Let's see. I mean, they're on they're on a, a nice little winning streak here. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know why I didn't write that down. But um, to be able to do that without arguably your two best attacking players, I know. Yoga Halta fans are just like, hey, what about him? But no, I mean, you've got, you know, a guy who arguably should have been the, the player of the year in Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, who just won the African Cup of Nations. Um, you know, you're doing without them for as long as you have. And they've done quite, they've done really well. And I think it's impressive and full credit to Jurgen Klopp and to the squad for, for being in this position because it could have gone very differently for them. But the race is back on, fellas. I think, I, I, I think there's, there's no doubt here. This is this is getting interesting. So, Adam, uh, the last time uh, Liverpool drew, okay, was the first leg of the uh, Carabao Cup against Arsenal back on Jan 13th. That's the last time they drew a match. Yeah, and the last because time, it, the yeah. la- when was the last time they lost a match? I'm not even sure. Uh. You know what? We'll do we'll we'll do it live. I'm gonna do some live some live uh Oh, where did it go? It was it, it was the last game it was the last game of uh the uh, uh the the of the twenty uh the twenty twenty one calendar year and it was the last match on uh the NBC Sports Network. It was uh against Leicester City it was the last time they ah. lost back in December. Okay. Yes, the one goal from Adam Ola-Lookman. Yeah, there it was. Wow. And so now to be here, yeah, so that's... So they drew with Chelsea. Um, let's see, they beat 
They beat Brentford on this run. They beat. They came back. They beat Leicester the second time around um, earlier this month. Gritty win at Burnley, and they won here. Then they beat Leeds. So yeah, um, just a really good run. They've got in all competitions right now. This is yeah. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins in a row for Liverpool. Um. And they've got the care about the the League Cup final against uh, Chelsea coming up this weekend. So, uh, so yeah, looking very very good uh, for Liverpool. Uh, also, another one in the top three: Chelsea uh, beating Palace this weekend by a goal to nil. Hakim Ziyech saving Chelsea from another week of goal mouth dysfunction. I think. I think. Based on the stats from this game, Palace deserve a bit of credit for a hard-fought match. Unfortunately, that does not equal points. Um, you Before today, you had to go back to December the 28th as the last time that Palace won a league match. Um, but Jordan, you kind of watched this game. So tell us, I mean, a win for Chelsea, was it deserved? And uh, what did we make of, of Thomas Torchell's Guys, they're, they're sort of falling out of the spotlight for a moment, um, at least until this weekend, as uh, as we focus on the title race. But uh, a valuable win. Uh, very valuable win, seeing it as it wasn't deserved, because uh, Wilfred Zaha, Zaha had at least two opportunities that were, you know, very convertible uh, on goal. And he just happened to put them just barely wide. Uh, and another you know, you talk about Thomas Tuchel and, you know, how Chelsea are performing. Have you seen the stats about Romelu Lukaku versus Crystal Palace? No, please tell he me. He had a total of seven, he had a total of seven touches the entire match. <laughs> I mean, credit Palace for doing that, but that is pretty abysmal. I mean, that I, I believe that was the, uh, I think that was the least amount of touches for a Chelsea striker in over like tw- in, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a league match in over twenty years. Um, but you paid a hundred million, hundred plus million pounds for him, and he gives you seven touches. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with him going forward under Thomas Tuchel, but something in the immediate future has to change because you are just not getting enough out of him, especially with, you know, um, Christian Pulisic underperforming, um, you know, Reese James still out. Um, yeah. I mean, it, Chelsea needs to find some offense from somewhere and Lukaku is the best option available. And yet, he it's not he's not providing it and i just kind of wonder if this was a good signing for this chelsea team what i mean is so we talked about harry kane about how you know he's working he's he's coming back into the uh, into the midfield and you know he sprays the ball wide and 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 you know can can do these things and he also can finish um Rene lukaku is to me a fantastic finisher i mean he's so quick um you know his knowledge in the box is is I I think is 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 pretty good. I mean he seems to pop up in the right place at the right time, fairly consistently. Obviously he didn't today, but I just wonder if he works in this system because he doesn't he doesn't really he's not the type of player who's going to contribute 
in an attacking move. He's going to finish an attacking move. It, it's, it, I mean, I feel like it's what he did at Inter. It's what he did, uh, you know, when he was when he was at Manchester United. It worked out well because he had this partnership with Paul Pogba. Pogba's a provider. Like he 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 can find the killer ball. Lukaku is the guy who's on the end of the killer ball. You know, that's that's how that works. And so when he's in this Chelsea system, which I think involves, you know, a lot of build-up play and, and some passing, I just don't see him really fitting into that unless they can give him good service, which they, they obviously didn't today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's got five goals um, in the Premier League at least this season. Um, which isn't a whole lot, but um, let's see, two more goals in the Champions League this season. So I mean, you know, it's he's 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 getting the goals. I know he had an injury layoff, but it's 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 it, it's just weird. It's a weird situation. He had the interview, obviously. Um, but I tell you, a player that's rising, Jordan is Hakim Ziyech. I mean, he's looking great. Uh, no, no, he is looking great. Um, he's actually providing, you know, what Deutschel kind of wants and what in the two players underneath the center striker, you know, coming in, coming in shallow, yeah. uh, you know, take, uh, controlling the ball in transition. Then when needing to getting out wide to provide width, uh, you know, allowing, allowing for the wingbacks to get up and, you know, provide the overlap, um, Ironically, he has just retired from international football at the age of at the age of twenty eight, I believe. Uh, he will no oh, longer wow. play for the, uh, the country of Morocco. Yes. Um. So he he is a a a bright spot, uh, you know, in this in this Chelsea team right now uh, in terms of going forward. But you know, like we like we've talked about, they just need more. Uh, yeah. It needs to come from somewhere. Um. And and I don't know if there's going to be it's got it's got to be Lukaku, but if if Chelsea have any hope of uh, competing, you know you know moving up you know moving up into the actual title challenge next year because I, this year it's it's gone. I, yeah. I kind of feel like Liverpool and City just have too much momentum going forward. Um, and just too much, you know. Honestly, better attacking talent at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But Chelsea has to figure something out. Yeah, and maybe that involves in this summer getting a getting rid of a couple players. You know, maybe you move on from Timo Werner, and you know, maybe you move on from Christian Pulisic. Uh, uh, because I mean, with his injury, with his injury problems, you know, he's not a he's not consistently on the pitch. Some, uh, some, no, I, I understand what you, I understand what you mean. It's, it's, I, I feel like any time, especially in American football, if you talk about Pulisic in any way, shape or form doing not a great job, because it's such a big deal. He's at Chelsea. I feel like people kind of like recoil. just like, what do you mean? He's the golden child, but you're right. I mean, he's not, he's not quite, he, he's not, he, there's been moments of brilliance, but when he's not in that moment of brilliant, he's just kind of been average and then he's been injured so um but you know he's, he's still a young player but yeah maybe maybe it would help him to to move on to uh uh to a different uh to pastures anew as we would say um 
the good news for Palace, they did beat Watford today, um, which uh, we'll, we'll kind of go over that in a minute. But the, the final match of the weekend that I thought bore out some more than just a mention and, and some, some discussion, uh, Southampton 2, Everton 0. We were talking about Everton last week. Said, boy, isn't Lampard doing? A, seems to be doing a fine job of motivating these guys, and and maybe Everton's turning a new leaf. And Caleb said, ah, let's wait until he plays Southampton this weekend. Well, Caleb, you were right. Uh, Lampard start at Everton, taking another hit. Uh, they faced a very organized, and I would say growing in stature, Southampton. They've got one loss in their last seven, two losses in their last twelve in all competitions. That includes that three-two win against Spurs. They were up to tenth place now. What makes this Southampton team so difficult to play against? Why is it, you know, what, what's, what's, you know, they've given a lot of teams some trouble. They drew City uh, a few weeks ago. Um, West Ham, we've got them in the FA Cup. I'm not looking forward to that. we got to go down to St. Mary's. That's not going to be fun. And Caleb, you had said you kind of looked into this and you were, um, you know, because you so rightfully uh, predicted this was going to be troublesome for Everton. Why is it? What's what's with this Southampton team? What makes them so hard to to battle against for ninety minutes? I mean, first and foremost, I mean they got some quality players that they've developed. Obviously, you know Southampton's well known for um, over the past decade or so developing some quality talent. Obviously, you know they have great fans. They play really well at home. But um, what's interesting is I did a little digging, and America Laporte um, said after City drew there um, uh, more than a month ago. Yeah. That um, one of the difficult things about playing at uh, St. Mary's is that the pitch is small. Ah, it's a small pitch, which is which is kind of interesting. And so I went in and, and I did some digging. Um, it is smaller than um, the Emirates, um, but it's it's not it's not at all near the smallest pitch in the Premier League. It's about um, seven thousand square meters, um, which is you know bigger than Stanford bridge or Anfield or King power stadium or oh, Goodison park or sellers park or, or Molyneux. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's, so it's not the, it's definitely not the largest, um, which if you're interested is Falmer stadium, um, oh. in terms of, in terms of square, uh, meters, uh, square meters. So, um, but it, it, it apparently it, it plays, um, you know, a little short and in particular, it is one of the shorter shorter pitches, um, so um, that is could be one of the reasons why it's difficult to play at. Um, and kind of a quick trivia question: um, yeah, Craven yeah. Cottage is the second shortest. Yeah. Were you saying something, Adam? No, no. Go ahead. I love trivia. Oh, trivia. Oh, you're ready for trivia. Okay. So Craven Cottage is one of the smallest pitches among um, kind of top top two tier, uh, you know, football yeah. league clubs. Um, care to take a stab at what the smallest pitch um, out of the top two tiers is? I'm going to guess Bournemouth. Okay, we got one for Bournemouth. Yep. Jordan, you got you want to take a stab? I'm going to go with one of my favorite team names. <laughs> okay. Preston North End. Okay, ah, good one. Very nice. Okay, okay. Um, we're both wrong. Deepdale ah. is actually pretty large. Oh wow! Um, and uh, Vital- Vitality Stadium is actually even larger than that. Oh, wow. Smallest is Bet Three Sixty Five Stadium. Oh, Stoke, Stoke. City is the play. Of course, it's so Stoke. tied with uh, Molyneux. So those are the smallest pitches. So anyway, yeah, interesting. All that, all that being said, that you know, 
some some who have gone and failed at St. Mary's have complained about the pitch size and particularly the length. So that seems to be um, turning out well for the Saints. Interesting. Kind of makes sense the way that they play because they just they seem very organized. You know, they, I think Ralph Husenholz hasn't done a good job of making sure that Southampton are pretty strong when it comes to both defending as well as uh you know that that attacking sort of uh you know well i mean i i think they're they're as tricky defending as they are attacking they attack with pace um they've got a lot of different options but then when they defend they're very very well organized and those two things don't usually go together if they do go together you usually have teams that are sort of more on the top end and so it just seems like the only thing that was left for Southampton to get right was their consistency, and they've 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 found it uh, here. But you mentioned the the players that they have. I mean, you think of the players who have been doing well this season. Armando, Armando Broja um, has you know been fantastic and a nice acquisition on loan from Chelsea. Che Adams has been having good. Stuart Armstrong, after he's come back from injury, um, is looking wonderful. And then of course, a very inform. James Ward-Prowse, and he's talked about every season, and I'm so surprised that he has not moved on to a different club by this point. Um, but, I mean, he's just, he's he's Mr. Southampton, and he's been doing a wonderful, wonderful job. I, if I remember correctly, did not get the go-ahead for the Euro 2020 squad for England last time around, but I just wonder if Gareth Southgate might pull that trigger at this rate uh, for 2022 because he is looking very, very good in that Southampton midfield. A few extras uh, that we didn't quite get to. Burnley, we've been talking about how well they've been doing lately. 3-0 against Brighton, um, which is, I don't know, anytime Burnley scores a goal, I think it's impressive. The fact they scored three is is just sort of strange. Um, uh, Villa, very interesting defeat to Watford this weekend. Um, didn't really see that coming. I didn't think it would. And if you watch the match, you probably also wouldn't think see that was coming. There were times where Watford seemed pretty pinned back and, and Villa were going to go on to win it. But Emmanuel Dennis, once again, uh, proving the difference. Uh, unfortunately, canceled out by that defeat to Palace uh, today. Uh, Arsenal with a 2-1 win against Brentford. Um, and then Wolves. Who I we should talk more about Wolves next weekend, um, but uh, a two-one win against Leicester, very very important win for Wolves and piling more pressure onto Brendan Rodgers. Any extra notes about those games? Anything uh, that I missed or any any closing points from the weekend's matches? Um, I just think. All three of us uh, can uh, be in agreement going into this week. Uh, this weekend, fuck Brentford. <laughs> can we? I don't know. Amen to that. I'm always, I'm always on board for that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know if that's. I don't, I don't. We don't have to go full Ivan Tony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some midweek results. I think we may have mentioned these earlier. Of course, Burnley beat Tottenham by a goal to nil. Uh, Watford one, Palace four, uh, two goals for Zaha in that game. He put away some of those chances, Jordan, that he missed against Chelsea. Uh, and then Liverpool six leads nil, two goals each for Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. So 
I can get my computer to work here. Uh, the Premier League table, after all that, uh, looks like this. So, like I said, Manchester City and Liverpool are now even on games played at the top. City ahead in first, but just by three points. And, if you were curious, uh, they play each other on April the 9th. So, uh, the weekend, I, I think that might move for television coverage, So, but the weekend of April the 9th, Keep that in mind. That is when the epic uh, top-of-the-table clash between Manchester City and Liverpool is scheduled to take place. A lot of football to be played between now and then, of course. Chelsea are in third with 50 points. Manchester United uh, with uh, 46 points in fourth place. Chelsea do have a game in hand. Uh, Everybody else in the top four has played 26 times. They've only played 25. Uh, And they will not make that up this weekend because they played Liverpool in the League Cup. Um... West Ham have dropped down to fifth. Uh, probably won't be there for very long. 42 points for them. Arsenal in sixth, but they have three games in hand. They've only played 23 times uh, this season. Wolves are in seventh on 40 points, uh, starting to knock on the door, maybe a little bit on European football. Tottenham down to eighth after that defeat today. Brighton in ninth, and Southampton round out your top of the table in tenth. Palace are up to... Yeah, they're up to up. Uh, yeah, uh, they're up to eleventh um, with twenty nine points. Leicester, Aston Villa, Brentford, Leeds um, in your eleven, twelve, thirteen, and thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Excuse me. Uh, Everton, they've got some games in hand, but they are in sixteenth on twenty two points. Newcastle uh, are still outside of the relegation zone with uh, twenty two points. They have also a couple of extra games in hand to play. Uh, Burnley are up to 18th. They are just two points shy of Newcastle, and they have a game in hand uh, on the tune. Watford in 19th, and Norwich rock bottom in 20th. Let's take a trip down a little lower this time. Lower than the Premier League, but not the lowest in our hearts, certainly. Um, uh, That spot is reserved for Millwall, of course. But it's the English League Championship and a bit of history today, Caleb. That's right. Um, Alexander Mitrovic has set a new EFL championship record for goals scored in a single season. He bested future Manchester City striker Ivan Tony's record set last year, 31 goals, um, with his 32nd and 33rd strike um, today, Wednesday, um, as Fulham beat a uh, woeful Peterborough squad, 2-1, really should have been 4-0, um, but uh, kind of squeaked by them, um, came uh, after a really disappointing 1-2 um, uh, loss to an inform Huddersfield Town over the weekend. Um, so the Cottagers uh, now have a nine-point lead over Burnmouth, who are in second, although they have two more games, uh, Fulham has two more games played. So that could easily be a, a, a three-point lead over Burnmouth. QBR, Huddersfield, Blackburn, and Sheffield United of all squads uh, in the top six. United making a, a, a midseason manager switch that seems to have played off for them. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a squad that I think everybody assumed would be competing for at least a playoff spot. Yeah. Um, but they started the year so poorly. Um, but they had a really impressive win over the weekend. Uh, one nil victory over Blackburn. Um, so they are riding hot. Huddersfield is, is riding hot as well. Um, so the race for the um, 
the top six continues to continue strong and we'll see quite a few more i think mix-ups before the end of the season uh bottom three as always darby peterborough and barnsley darby's now full eight points um away from being able to stay up so i pretty confident at this point that those will be the three teams relegated and your match of the week coming up saturday 7 30 in the morning eastern time top six rivals blackburn hosts queen park rangers uh saturday morning and i think yes some interesting news uh that i just kind of saw so paul ince who of course uh <clears throat> was a longtime midfielder for several clubs i mean manchester united uh, among those, I think he played for Wolves at one point. Um, he has uh, taken charge as the manager at Reading and is looking to uh, steer them clear of that relegation zone that uh, that Caleb was talking about. Uh, so, um, it's, it's just an interesting note there. He's a bit of a legend um, around, uh, around the game. Uh, oh, that makes me think of something else. Let me write this down. Uh, we'll talk about this here in a minute. Something fun that I think both of you uh, would be interested to know as well. Um, okay, thank you, Caleb, for that championship update and updating us on the table. Good news for Fulham as they look to uh, get back in the Premier League and looking like we'll have an all-Premier League, uh, we ate all the pies next year. That's That'll be fun. The, the more derbies, the merrier, I say. Which maybe... <laughs> Which maybe after this podcast doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but anyways. All right, so your Premier League weekend now looks like this. Southampton against Norwich. Start us out on Friday, February the 25th. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern time on USA Network. We get USA back now that the Winter Olympics are over, um, which, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Uh, Saturday, February the 26th, we start out with Leeds versus Tottenham, 7.30 a.m. on USA Network. Uh, here's your 10 a.m. kickoffs. Brentford versus Newcastle uh, on Peacock. Brighton versus Aston Villa, also on Peacock. Crystal Palace versus Burnley. That could be interesting. Two uh, two teams coming off of some some pretty big wins. Uh, and then Manchester United versus Watford. That's on USA Network. At 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, <clears throat> it's Everton against Manchester City. That's on NBC and Peacock. Interesting position for Everton, do you help out your arch nemesis Liverpool by trying to get one over on uh, City, or do you uh, play like you normally do and allow them to win? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Very interesting one one there uh, with Lampard facing off against former team Manchester City. I forgot almost that he used to play for them uh, toward the end of his career on Sunday. Just the one game in the Premier League, West Ham versus Wolves. That's at 9 a.m. on the USA Network. I'm not looking forward to that one. And finally, on Sunday, uh, it's your League Cup final from Wembley. Chelsea versus Liverpool. That is going to be 11.30 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. And if history is anything to go by, I think it is going to be uh, Taylor Twelman on the commentator. So... I am sorry about that. If you want to listen with the volume down, no one's going to judge you. Um, and that, gentlemen, brings us into our top shelf picks because we are looking forward to the League Cup this weekend in our picks. Uh, just an update. Uh, we all got... Yeah, it was pretty even last week. We all got the Palace-Chelsea result uh, correct, Chelsea winning. But uh, we missed... 
Tottenham beating Manchester City. I mean, who would have predicted that? Uh, and then we all ended up missing the Leeds Manchester United result. So Caleb is still top on 32 points. He is four points ahead of Jordan, who has 28. And I am still two points behind Jordan with 26. So, first one up this weekend. Uh, bit of a wild card. Definitely one that's going to make you think. Uh, it's on Saturday. Brighton versus Aston Villa from the Amex down on the South Coast. Uh, these are two teams that have kind of been stuttering a little bit lately. Um, and uh, I'm up first. Uh, why did I do that to myself? Uh, for predicting this one. Um, you know, I, I think I think that loss last weekend for Brighton was a bit of a blip. I'm going to go 2-0 to the goals. I think they're going to get it right this time uh, because I just, Villa, Villa is struggling right now. So I think, I think Brighton comes away with all the points uh, from that one. Jordan, you are next. Uh, what do you think is going to happen on the South coast between Brighton and Aston Villa? I think it's going to be one, one. Yeah. That's going to be a draw that I was thinking. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's the that's the, now that you say that it does sound like it'll be correct. That's a pretty good prediction, I think. Uh, and Caleb, looking to still be our leader after this weekend, Brighton versus Villa. Yeah, Brighton have they've not defeated Villa in their last. They're winless in their last five home games against Villa, and uh, Villa won two nil. In November, but um, which was surprising. But that was back when I think Villa had its little Steven Gerrard. Uh, I think it was his first match. So they yeah. got a little Gerrard bump in that match. You know, but neither of these teams are playing very well. Um, and I could see this going, going kind of either way. Just for chaotic purposes, I'm going to say 2-1 victory for Villa at Brighton. Um, we'll just see if history can repeat itself. All right. So a bit of relief and the pressure let off uh, for Gerard at Villa, um, says Caleb. Up next, it's on Sunday. Um, we hadn't done a West Ham prediction in a while. And this is actually, this is a big, a big match. I think if West Ham can somehow, by some miracle, some way, manage to get anything out of this match against a red-hot Wolverhampton Wanderers, um, it'll go a long way toward the European ambitions. Um and it's it, this is this one's. I mean, it's it's tough for me to predict because um, the Wolves have been so good. They are away from home. Um, West Ham have been shooting themselves in the foot lately. Um, so, but first up for the prediction here between West Ham and Wolves, Jordan. Um, do Wolves continue their hot streak here in twenty twenty two? Yes, and Adam, unfortunately, it's a 1-0 Wolves win. Yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, Caleb, West Ham versus Wolves. Yeah, this is tough. Uh, no team has uh, – the Wolves have not beat any team as much as they beat West Ham in the Premier League, <laughs> which, you know, you can take that You can take that either way. Um, but uh, Wolves have had – have not had a ton of luck in the Premier League, but um, their best luck has been against West Ham. I actually think this is probably going to be a draw. 
Um, even though Wolves are playing really well and West Ham kind of has stumbled, I still think there's a lot of um, talent in West Ham. So I'm going to say 1-1 draw. Um, hammers secure a point. I'm going to agree. Uh, I do. Th- I think it'll end. I, I, I kind of thought draw, hopefully, maybe. Fingers crossed. So I'm going to predict a draw. Um, you know, on current form, I just don't think West Ham are in a mood to win this one. Uh, but, you know, hey, I mean, I would be happy to be pleasantly surprised at this rate. So, um, so yeah. So 1-1 one, one is also my prediction. And finally, the big one. It's the League Cup final on Sunday. Chelsea versus Liverpool. First silverware of the season is up for grabs. Chelsea not doing a great uh, this season, but uh, they always seem to show up for these final games. It's just something about this team. Uh, Liverpool, of course, uh, looking for what could be a very, very valuable trophy coming at the end of the season, uh, as long as, as they're looking to uh, string a couple together here. So, Caleb, you are first up to predict this League Cup final. Uh, what do you think? Man, Chelsea loves nothing more than winning yeah. these kinds of trophies the uh, world champions i believe as they are they are calling themselves uh, that's true they are the um, world champions now that being said liverpool is playing fantastic football and with Salah and mane back in the fold and in the starting 11 after afcon find it hard to believe that they're not going to come in and win i think this is a i think this is probably even to all going into uh uh, extra time, and I think Liverpool pulls this off in extra time. So I'm going to say a 3-2 victory for Liverpool. Interesting. 3-2 after extra time. Very specific. I like it. Um, yeah. You know, I was thinking maybe Chelsea, and and I'm, I could, uh, I may hate, my, hate myself for this for not going with my gut, but I'm going to go with Liverpool. I'm going to say it's a 2-1 win for Liverpool. Uh, they've just been so dominant lately, and I do think that they'll be up for this one. Um, I think that battle between Lukaku and Van Dijk, or, or, or and, and Matip, and or you know Konate, whoever's next to him, uh, is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, I, I, I've watched just for that, um, but I do think Liverpool are going to come out as two-one winners. Uh, Jordan, last certainly not least. Uh, Chelsea versus Liverpool, what do you think? It's going to be 2-0 Liverpool. All right. I just I just got that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people do. So it's a, so a, a we all the pies sweep in the predictions for Liverpool in the League Cup final. Will Chelsea respond to that? Probably not specifically to that, but they might respond. Um so, a few closing notes real quick just from me. Um, of course, we're here, here in the United States. MLS starts this weekend. Uh, it starts on Saturday. A whole, like a, a bunch of Saturday games and a couple of them on Sunday. Um, we get to see the debut this season of Charlotte FC, which will be fun. Um, and, of course, uh, Caleb, you'll have to look at the calendar, see when you can get on out and see Atlanta United play. That's always a fun time. So, yeah, exciting. I'm excited. And for the first time in a while, I'm actually kind of excited as an FC Dallas fan. We made a couple of big signings this this summer. So, looking forward to it. I'd like to try and watch some more MLS this season. Yeah. 
ready for the Paul Areola era at yes. uh, FC Dallas. Yes. So excited. Should help soothe the loss of uh, Pepe. And we got this kid. What's I, you have to remember? You have to help me, Jordan. I think his name is is it Alan Velasco. It's, it's I can't oh, I can't remember. He, it was it's like a club record signing, but he's like this random kid from Argentina. But supposedly he's supposed to be this this big deal. Like some of the big clubs in Europe have been looking at him. Of course, it makes you wonder why didn't they sign him yet? Well, it might, there might be a reason for that, but. Some ambition being shown by FC Dallas, Jordan, which I think is, is going to be interesting to see. Well, you know what it means, though. If he signed for FC Dallas, like in a year and a half, Bayern is just going to swoop him out of our pocket. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. Towards them. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm excited, you know, ever optimistic that, you know, FC Dallas is eventually going to, you know, win – the uh M- when the MLS uh we're one of three we one of three uh original uh yes. MLS teams to have not won the league the other two being the Chicago Fire and then yep. the new the New England Revolutions the Revs um so hopefully you know this year's our year did the Revs not win it recently. Am I wrong about that? Or did they not? I've been playing a lot of football manager not. lately and they've won it late. Okay. <laughs> that was that happened in one of my football manager games. So that's hence my confusion. I am sorry. So yeah, one of three. And also, real quick, I do want to mention before we before we leave now. So <clears throat> very, very excited. Often over the summer, um, we are deprived of English football. It kind of sucks. Um, especially this summer when there's gonna be no international tournament. Um, because although I think the women's European tournament is going on this summer, but there's no men's international tournament. There's no world cup that's been moved to the winter, which we would usually have. So you might be wondering during the summer, what am I going to watch? Well, we should all try and watch out for this. It is the return of masters football. Now, for those of you who don't know, masters football used to be a big thing over in the UK. They would get all of the teams like, you know, Aston Villa, Manchester United, uh, Liverpool, they would get their older former players over the age of 35 to come back and play on a sort of indoor kind of pitch inside arenas. They'd sell out these arenas. They'd have, uh, you know, they'd go by region. So there'd be like a Northeast and a Northwest and a West Midlands and a, a London and a, and a, you know, South Coast or an East of England one or all these things. They'd have a Scottish one um, and then they'd all have a big tournament at the end. I don't know if they're doing that, but it is coming back on July the 8th in Glasgow. Um, One of the teams confirmed, I think, is Manchester United Um, and so we'll see a lot of the Manchester United, older Manchester United players, perhaps even Roy Keane, coming down from his uh, his commentary box position uh, on Sky Sports to... uh, to play in this tournament. So yeah, that, that, that's a lot of fun. I remember discovering masters football and it's great. It's, it's, it's just great fun. And it's great to see these older guys getting back out on the pitch. Um, I don't know if West Ham are going to have a team there, but I, I hope they do. Um, but so yeah, look out for that masters football. I'm trying to think of an American equivalent and I can't, I don't know if there's, if there's one of those, uh, like where, where the older players come back 
and play for some fun. I can't think of an of an American equivalent. I but I could be wrong. Sometimes they have like old timers games for uh uh baseball. Oh, okay. See there you go. So like so it's like an old timers game but uh, but for football. So yeah, that'll be good. So yeah. So, and you so know what? it's not all lost. Something to look forward to this summer. Yes, Jordan. And we need to be thankful they don't have old timers games for American football. Uh, that would just be a effort in uh, sadness and depression. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's kind of hard to do to do that. The body gets a lot of punishment playing that sport. So, but yeah, so it's it's good. Uh, I think the Six Nations returns this weekend. FA Cup is next week. So it's it's frozen. You know, maybe it feels a little. I don't know. Champions League was this week, so still a high time for football. Still exciting. Um, and we're here to uh, to cover all of it. So, thank you again, gentlemen. Caleb, it was great to see you this weekend or uh, this weekend yesterday. Wow, yeah. <laughs> felt like a weekend. It was a wedding. It did. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was uh, oof, goodness. Uh, and now that the uh, MLS season has started, Jordan, we're going to have to find an FC Dallas game to go to. Uh, yes, we will. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. we will for sure. Absolutely. All right. All right, Jordan. Gonna sign us off. Uh, so I will see y'all. I will see y'all in the uh, front lines of uh, of battle. As oh, Russia has now been asked for uh, military intervention in the uh, breakaway Ukra- Ukrainian territories. Uh, so let's go get our uh, our, our helmets, our uh, uh, M1 Garands, and our bayonets. And let's go eat some pies, guys. Let's go eat some pies and try and find out what year it is. All right, everybody, stay safe, um, and we will see you next week.